Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. On today's show, we have a conversation with Danny Sheedon, who runs Close the Gap Wellness. I know a lot of you folks may have seen this or know what her business is, and Danny is a counselor, she's an educator, and Close the Gap Wellness provides mental health counseling for first responders, and Danny has been a wildland firefighter, is a wildland firefighter, so there is a focus there for the wildland firefighter world. She travels all over the United States teaching classes on how to address these issues and how someone can self-help themselves if they end up in these situations. And we get into all sorts of topics, whether it is self-care, substance abuse, and we actually end up dwelling on relationships in Wildland Fire for a pretty good portion of this interview. And we talk about communication problems that people have, expectations that uh, are there or are sometimes assumed, and uh, other folks don't quite understand what those expectations are, and kind of how to address those issues as you move further into your relationships. And it is that time of year where most of the relationships in Wildland Fire start to go south. It's that springtime period where the season's about to start back up and you end up having issues with your loved ones and the people that you are in a relationship with. We cover all sorts of other stuff. It's a wonderful listen. I'd like to thank Danny for coming on. She's been a longtime friend of the show. It's the first time we've had her on. Uh, there's plenty of conversations we've had where we probably should have just hit record and put those out as well, but we were just chatting at that point in time. But please enjoy the show and thank you for listening. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. I have traveled Danny, what's up? Uh, it has been wild today. <laughs> I know you've been busy teaching. Do you have a way to unwind yourself? I think that uh, it's all about that self-care. And I'm all about that self-care life right now. So, Well, that's good. Yeah. Do you have a yeah. go-to self, self-care? Um, Definitely physical movement. Like exercise is my go-to. Uh, I love running to just shut my brain down because I don't think of anything else while I'm running. I just listen to loud music, you know? Um, and then I also have been doing a ton of yoga lately. So movement's probably key. And then, I mean, shoot, I go to my own counseling once a month to just de- you know, decompress. Yeah. And I'll do that for the rest of my career, probably. Well, it's good. People need, people need that outlet. Otherwise it, it starts to pile on as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, it, and, and the thing is, is if I, my biggest thing is if I'm not willing to do it, I'm not going to suggest it to other people. Well, so see, that's I'm good. Not, I suggest yoga to people, but I just don't do as much as I should. Sometimes <laughs> I feel bad about that. Yeah. I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, if I'm not willing to read this book, I'm definitely not going to tell you to read this book. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
like, you know, I had a, a client come to me the other day to return two books and I was, I was like, you know, they're good, huh? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I see, I wouldn't recommend something that I wouldn't read myself. And I've even highlighted it and taken notes of when I read the book, you know? Yeah. Well, Hey, let's jump into just kind of how you got started in fire. I think a lot of folks kind of know who you are and know close the gap wellness, but, uh, maybe don't know your history in wildfire. Can you kind of give us a background of how you got into that and, and how that went for you? And then we'll kind of transition into what you're doing now. Okay. Yeah. So Danny shut in with Closely Up Wellness, if you don't know me. Um, I would say for the past year, I've been working with Closely Up Wellness, my own business as a counselor. But before my background in like fire, um, I was on the WFM out of Colorado on the Grand Mesa on Compadre Gunnison National Forest. Uh, during that time, I also was in a, a detail at the Washington office working um, at the casualty assistance program for the U.S. Force Service. I really enjoyed that detail. I did that for about 18 months. and was okay, away That's from a long school. detail. How did you find that? Um, I kind of just fell upon that detail. So what had happened is my dad got diagnosed with brain cancer in December 2019, and I knew that I was not mentally fit or able to be a squatty for a crew. Uh, I was not in the mental state with my dad going through treatment and I needed to be there to help my family. And so I was able to reach out to a couple different people that I knew in the agency, as I always say, doing like the hard work um, and taking care of other people in the agency. It's the quiet people in the background, like the casualty assistance program that helps so many. We just don't hear about it. And it led me that way, but I actually was in a, I was actually given a one-year detail working for Rocky Mountain Research Station, specifically around the Human Performance Innovation and Organizational Learning Program. Okay. And then during that time, I reached out to the woman who was running the Casualty Assistance Program. She had room for assistance to get help. Uh, She needed help with the program. And so I was able to kind of like use my skill set as a counselor um, and my background with fire and SISM to step in and help with um, that program as well. So I actually was in kind of two details at once, assisting both programs. And uh, that was pretty fantastic, but a lot of work. When you were with the Rocky Mountain um, and, and doing the performance deal, were you the, the group that was asking my crew to swallow robotic pills to test our internal temperatures? I mean, that sounds rad, but no, Okay. Um, no, I was, uh, I was working and assisting with the program called Comprehensive Wellbeing and Resilience, teaching wellness, right, in mm-hmm. the force service. Um, I took that course when I was still BLM, and I heard about it randomly through a forwarded email through the chain, you know, in the feds. Yep. And so I knew some people from taking the class to be able to see, like, hey, can I, is there any way I can help out while I'm away from my crew, you know, because my dad was really sick and actually was dying at the time. So, um, yeah, the Forest Service helped me out, got me into details and supported me the whole time to be able to take care of my family, which was really cool. That's awesome to hear that that was made available. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's all about your network. So. And then when did you make the decision to 
just dive headlong into starting this up and, and, and opening close the gap wellness? Um, I think really last March. So it hasn't even been a year. Um, last March is really when I said, you know, I'm going to do this. Um, I was getting ready to go back to the WFM in Colorado. I live in Boise, Idaho. Um, and I just kept thinking, I love doing the hard work and taking care of the fire community. And on a WFM, you know, doing all those jobs and all those roles, I just wasn't going to be able to do as much of that hard work that I wanted to do um, being attached to a crew. And my crew was always super supportive of me doing that work, but it was just one of those where I was like, I wanted to just do that work solely, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I'm all about keeping my quals and I still keep my quals current and go out as an AD now. But I kept thinking I could go out as an AD and then open, close the gap and be able to help so many more people in the community that way. Mm-hmm. And so I did it and it was terrifying. And I will tell you, sometimes I'm still terrified. So yeah, going out on your own is terrifying. It's just the way it is, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that we've talked about that, where yeah. it's kind of isolating, um, being in business for yourself, and then also trying to navigate, you know, what what kind of personal life you can have with, you know, running your own business. Yeah, and and we've discussed before the mentality of all I can do is fire. I can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just sticks with people in the wildfire world. And yeah, that's intimidating because that, that mentality is there. You know, you've, you've been there for however long you've been there. You've learned these skills, you've been trained, you've met a family. And, uh, on one side, you feel like you're abandoning them when you decide to make a move like that. And on the other side, oh, yeah. it's the feeling of, Oh, maybe I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not made for this. You know, I don't, the only thing I can do is wildfire. Well, and you know, it's, it's easy to fall into that imposter syndrome. Like we've talked about of really feeling like, you know, I'm trained to do this, but am I actually qualified? Am I deserving? Can I actually do this? Do people actually believe in what I'm doing and that I'm competent? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And, um, the thing I can always recommend to people now is, you know, take the leap because you've only got this one life. And I mean, even myself getting into fire, I, a lot of people don't know I left counseling to, to, to get on an engine. So I actually was a mental health counselor in Boise, Idaho before I started fighting fire. Okay. And so that leap in itself, um, I just knew when it was time for me to kind of like pull the plug on primary fire last year and just be like, you know what, this is a calling and I need to follow it. And even though it's scary, I need to like be brave and and chase that and serve this community in another way, if you will. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm going to drop the big question on you early here and uh, we can piece it apart as we go. Why is the wildland fire community sick and struggling with mental health? (laughs) <laughs> I know, I know. Like I said, we can piece this apart. We can piece what kind this of question apart. Is that? It's, a, <laughs> it's the monster question. I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to our, our culture. Like we're really not accepting of a new way of doing things. And so with even now mental health, you know, being a huge 
if you will, a topic that keeps coming up yeah. in the mental health and to the wildland fire community. I feel like um, even now you still have some folks that are like, yeah, whatever. And then you, those folks that are saying that are telling other people, okay, don't take this seriously, discount your mental health, right? That the culture is repeating itself. Yeah. Uh, that we're not willing to talk to outsiders. But with that, I will say, why are we so, um, you know, like, I, what did you call it? Ill, sick? I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that why there are so many struggles is just the, the system that it's set up, you know, the job in general. Um, growing up on a military base my entire life, you know, uh, my dad was Air Force. Just watching that community suffer as well mm-hmm. with the schedule, with um, struggling with relationships, you know, um, struggling to ha- find time for personal time or to connect with the general population. That's why. Yeah. Would you, you know, but I'm, would you say, ahead. would you say the three, and I'm just taking these off the top of my head through personal experience and all my homies out there who deal with this stuff. Would you say the three big ones are substance abuse, relationships, and just like overall depression? Um, I would say that those are probably in the top. Yeah. But I think that with, with what goes along with depression, I would say even so much so as just like some post-traumatic stress symptoms, um, adjustment, disorder issues going on, right? Yeah. Uh, with transitions. And then I also see, you know, a lot of like anxiety in the field. Sure. Uh, and depression with that, right? So I would say that that kind of mental health is more than just like that depression piece of the top three. It would probably be like a handful that I could clump together. Like this is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but substance abuse is huge, Yeah. right? That's a coping skill that we have normalized in this community. And, um, well, we even could we just cope with substances out in the field? It's like, oh, I just cut a tank, it was really hard. I'm gonna slap in, uh, you know, an Amazonian sized chew in my lip and dose mm-hmm. myself real quick to try to just chill out. And then, you know, it's you, you get into the habit of reaching for something to cope with stress, is how the way mm-hmm. I look at it. Yeah. I mean, and not only just coping from stress, but coping from lack of sleep. Yeah. Like you come from the hotshot background, like just having major sleep disturbances mm-hmm. with the schedule or being out in the line for insane shifts, like 36 hour shifts. How many people have medicated with extreme amounts of caffeine? Yeah. I and, mean, and extreme amounts of like melatonin and other things just to get to sleep for that five hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember taking like two Benadryl on the fire line to like sleep at night. Oh, yeah. People do that all the time. To calm down. Yeah. Yeah, to calm down. And, you know, recently, side note, I found out that they're thinking uh, Benadryl causes Alzheimer's and dementia. And I was like, oh, great. I'm for sure getting that. Well, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... And we just dose that. You get a bee sting here. Take a bunch of Benadryl, or I w- <laughs> I want to feel drowsy, so at nighttime I'm taking Benadryl. I'm going to stack it with some melatonin and uh, you know some tea, and then hopefully I fall asleep for a little while. Well, yeah, and then in the morning when I can't breathe because I either have camp cred or I have you know inhaled so much smoke, now I'm going to take a pseudoephedrine and uh, energy drink to yeah. stay awake. 
Yeah. Everybody's dosed up on everything really is what it comes down yeah. to. There's a lot of self-medication that's not just like, oh, you know, we abuse alcohol. There's there's a lot of medication going on there yeah. with tobacco, caffeine, um, and actual medications, you know, that are acceptable. You know, I'm not saying pseudoephedrine is illegal to use on the line. Um, and we definitely have issues with our breathing when we're out there for days on end. So 100% we for a long time, like it was really bad when, when our crew found, you know, gas station caffeine pills for for the longest time it was, you know, we're, we're making our fancy coffees and that's good in the morning. And we kind of drag later on into the day, but then someone found the, uh, the caffeine pills at a store stop and, you know, midday when you're cutting tanks, you pop one in and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like Superman. Um, but of course those have all sorts of problems associated with them as well. You don't even know what's in them to be quite frank. Like I was about to say, I actually don't even know like what level of caffeine's in them and then what's in them. And that's dangerous in itself. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, that's a whole that's a whole other beast. Can we talk about what you've been doing traveling around the last couple of weeks and uh, that that program and what you've seen and what people mm-hmm. are telling you and, and what you're going around uh, teaching folks? Yeah, so um, a lot of what I've been teaching is I created a class called Holding the Line. And it covers a lot of different topics, right? We talked about resiliency. I actually have people hands-on do a lot of resource building that they're actually built, like willing to use, right? Mm-hmm. Not, oh, I'm going to call EAP. It's like, okay, if you're never going to call EAP, do not put that on your list as your resource. I, I don't want you to put that on there. And so I talk about that. And can um, you tell people what a UAP is? Oh, yeah. So, sorry, EAP is Employee Assistance Program. Okay, yes. Um, so many fire folks, you know, it doesn't matter where you work, even a structured EAPs. So, um, but if that's not working for you, right? Like I want to make sure your list is actually, that could be calling your battle buddy. That could be me saying, you know what, Tim, I'm really struggling. I'm going to call Tim and he's my, you know, my person for support. And so that's who I'm looking at, right. For support system, uh, to build, and make an actual physical list with firefighters about it. I talk a lot about the mental health stuff, you know, that you and I talk about a lot of like what I'm, what I'm seeing, um, how to get help, right. What that looks like instead of just saying like, Oh yeah, we deal with stress. It's like, okay, yeah, we deal with stress. This is what it looks like. But when do you get help for stress? You know, when is it, when is this causing issues in your life? So are you um, talking like thresholds, like when when it gets to this point or you need to set like trigger points for yourself, that type of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like if it's if it's causing you, you know, inability to do your job, you know, what what are, what are those thresholds of stress? You know, what's what's like functioning stress and what's the stress that's debilitating you yeah. every day? And sometimes that's hard to discern, you know? And, it uh, is when and you're it, in it. Yeah, man, whether it's at work or at home or, you know, you flying off the handle driving through Boise because everybody's moving there and now traffic's worse than it was 10 years ago. And now you're just absolutely freaking out in the car. You know, what what is that threshold for you? And and like people have to find that themselves, right? It's hard to just tell someone what that is. Yeah. And a lot of what I teach too goes back to like even coping skills. And I tell people all the time, kind of like jokingly, like I can't assign to you golf. I can't say, Tim, you're going to cope with all these stressors by golfing now. Yeah. And Um, I'm the type of person where if you told me that I'd be like, I'm never going to (laughs) golf. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I would have told you this. I would still to this day tell you the same thing. Like, and how dare you tell me what I'm going to do? Yeah. You know, that doesn't work for me. And so we really have to come up with those things ourselves of what works. And so we do a lot of exploration with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, start thinking about like, what do you actually do? Another thing in the class holding the line that I teach is really like, what are the things you said that you used to do or you still put on your your coping skill or self-care sheet that you say, I do this, but you actually used to do? Like, I used to play softball. Mm-hmm. But I could tell you, I probably put that on my top three list of things I do for self-care. Sure. I haven't played softball since like, I don't even know, five years. Okay, so, so that can't you, be on my list. I was going to say that you are you're providing something that in reality is just so far on the back burner that it's, you know, it's a good memory maybe of how you used to do it, but it's just not available to you now. Well, they used to, right. And oftentimes in wildland fire, we get these, I used to, especially because our seasons are getting longer. So our used to's are getting bigger and bigger of like, well, I used to do wood burning, but you know, now I just want to sleep, man. There are a lot of used to's aren't there. There's a ton of used to's. Man. And so I get people to really think about like, what are you doing for self-care now? Okay. What is, what are out of that list? Did you used to do that? You're not actually implementing now. And so I really make people do a lot of self-discovery and uh, it's really different than just like death by PowerPoint. Right. And it's yeah. a full day. It's a full day. I teach a two hour, a four hour or a six hour course, but the six hour is my favorite because I'm actually like getting a lot of group discussion People are sharing their own experiences. I'm sharing my experiences because people learn by storytelling mm-hmm. and they learn from each other. And I'm never not going to include that when I teach. Like I want people to share. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I mean, always, it's, a, it's always nice when you hear that your peers, you know, are relating to what, or it's always that thing where you, most people, I won't say most people. There's a lot of folks out there who stay quiet because they think that what they have going on is individualized and it's not a shared experience. So they feel like they shouldn't share it. And so totally. and so hearing those common things, um, how do you bring that out of people? How do you go about that to, to, to start that process of getting folks to talk about that openly with each other? I set the tone pretty early and I get very vulnerable right? Like I share my own stories. Um, I share a video of my daughter talking, you know, when I talk about relationships and family and, you know, couples and kids, I talk, I share even a video of 10 minutes of video of my daughter talking about how I didn't mess her up. Right. And that's powerful. That's pretty powerful for someone that has a child to hear like my child saying, my mom didn't mess me up. And this is why I love that she fought fire. Um, so yeah, that probably hits pretty hard. It does. And, and the thing is, is to connect to material being taught, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and connect to someone at the emotional level. And by storytelling, by us even doing this, Tim, right now, this is how you connect to other people. Yeah. And this is how they learn and, and remember. And are you so, available for this all season long? Like how, how I am. So going into the, the fire season, um, how do people get a, get a hold of you? How does that work? How do you fit that into the, the wildfire schedule that just becomes really busy? So, you know, my, I would say I don't really have a busy season. I'm busy all year. Yeah. So that looks different for every, you know, 
state, region, across the country, you know, department. So it actually pretty much staggers itself out, you know. I'm available at all times to come out and teach and do some mental health, you know, work or prevention work on the on the ground. But it really de- it depends on people's work schedules. You know, is it their fuel season and they're not able to because they're out burning? Um, okay, so what does it look like when you guys are slow? You know, mm-hmm. is it March? And I try to capture them um, during that time. And usually people will just re- reach out to me by one, my phone number. Um, a lot of people have my phone number and email. It's all over the place. And then I also have my website. I have Instagram. And honestly, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. And those all come directly to me, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a person show, probably like you, <laughs> where mm-hmm. every DM is answered by me. Yes, 100%. So, so I, get, I get back to people, usually try within 24 hours, even on the weekend, to get back to folks. But this is something I offer all year. And this could be even in the middle of fire season, virtually, right? I'm willing to do a lot of these courses virtually. It's better in person. Trainings always will be. But if for whatever reason, you know, it's just impossible to get me out there um, in in person and guarantee that you guys are going to be available, then I'll just hop on and do a two-hour class with someone, um, with a crew, you know, in their crew room or whatever. Um, I try to make it pretty easy to have access to me for training is I got a couple questions here is number one. It's it's seems like the system isn't running a hundred percent smoothly. Am I, am I fair to say that? Can I say that when it comes to mental health support within the industry? Um, are you thinking like, system meaning like internally and agencies that's not running smooth yeah like with like the connecting with the people that are needed and uh like we had the conversation the other day you know the resource that i used to work for they basically have someone available all the time and it's a it's a newer program but it, it was it was made known like we had meetings about it and they're like yo if you have a bad role or something happens and ultimately that did happen this last season there's someone made available to them. I guess what I'm asking is, is it that easy for the other agencies to put something like that together? Are there still roadblocks? Um, and if someone wanted that in the current system, how would they go about setting all that up? So I think that in every system, there's roadblocks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of policy. So a lot of the times we're in our own way. Uh, with our policy that we have put in place, because at the time that was what we knew was best. Um, So as policy changes, it gets better and better. I think that internally in a lot of like specifically federal land agencies, that they are actively working to make ease of access better. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they currently have clinicians kind of on call for like crisis work or for training opportunities like myself. And, um, but it goes back to, you know, are we teaching, you know, the, let's say a fire manager access on how to get a hold of me to use me for training and how to use funding for that? Um, I could see that that could maybe be where you're saying there may not be a, di- there might be a disconnect. Shoot, right? yeah, yeah. And a lot of that goes back to when people call me and they're like, I'm really interested in this class holding the line, but I don't know how to get this to my unit or my structure department. A lot of it goes back to me giving education, you know, like this is how much it costs. 
these are some possible ways for funding because I know the inside, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, you know, these are the people you need to reach out to if you would like to bring this to your unit. Um, now, I think they're even getting better and better with that, right? But a lot of it used to be word of mouth. And the casualty assistance program I know in the Forest Service um, has really tried to do a lot of education pre season with these fire leaders to tell them how to get these opportunities. So I think that it's becoming smoother, but do I think it's a hundred percent? No. And I think it'll probably be years to come before it's fully running in all the agencies. Yeah. And, you know, I don't expect you to have all the answers here, but would you say that the, the, the funding, cause we know there's new funding coming into this out of the infrastructure bill. Um, I think we're yet to know if it's all getting to where it's supposed to get or, or getting, you know, delineated the, the appropriate way, but are we ultimately going in the right direction with what's been provided? I think that it's too early to see that. Yeah. Right. I think that we are so fresh from the infrastructure bill and then getting the money out to the programs that we're not really seeing yet, you know, what, what's worked and what hasn't and where's the money going. Um, I think that check and balance is going to happen in the next, you know, year or two really as when we'll see like, okay, yeah, money went to the mental health programs and the agency, they're starting to build, they're putting players in place. You know, right now they're probably more or less at the point of just getting players in place, you know, hiring folks. And I mean, you know how it is when you're brand new into an agency or brand new in your position. It you got like a year of just learning. Yeah, you have to, to you have to learn how to just navigate in. what you've been put in. Yeah, and so I think we're in that level, you know. Yeah. But then I also think there have been people that have been doing a lot of I will call it and continue always to call it the hard work, taking care of our folks. Um that are really stepping up to the plate and trying to assist uh, with the funding that's coming down too, right? And that that goes to say that they're just doing a lot of work in the background that many of us do not see. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I was doing a lot with the casualty assistance program. It's a lot of education. It's a lot of informing, you know, leaders of opportunities to get mental health support, um, you know, that we're, that we do have programs like critical incident stress management programs, CISM mm-hmm. to help folks on their worst day and um, that they can trust them, right? Because now we got to build, we not only have to implement mental health programs, we now have to build trust and rapport, which as you know, in the fire community takes years. It takes a long time. They're, they're, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it and I kind of understand why it's more of like a primal thing and how we live out there and you uh-huh. know just how we're surviving and our tight-knit units. But trust yes. is... Man, it's tough in the wildfire world. Once you once you gain it, especially like within your crew and the people that you're working with, you know, it's rock solid. But it's <laughs> it's really hard to it's really hard to create that. And there's even times where you show up to a fire and you have a new division and you know they want to integrate with you. And you know, it's not out of we don't like this person. It's just like, well, I don't know you, I don't trust you, so we're just gonna do our own thing. And uh, I know that's not across the board, but there's a lot of that out there. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to to build that. And and I've seen that. I forget the name of the program. I wish I remember the name of the program. But I think it was started this last season where they were starting to integrate folks on fires. And uh, 
I was reading some of the the feedback and it is, it's a lot of like, we don't know who you are. Like we know you're trying to do something good, but you know, we don't know, we don't know what your end game is. And there's a lot of that. I call it the circle and sniff. When someone new comes in, we're all just a bunch of animals and we need to figure out who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And in the wildfire world, it's kind of a, what can you do for me type of thing? Um, because you're already giving so much and, and working at the extreme limits that now we have someone else in the cog of the machine, you know, what can you do for me? And, and yeah, so obviously you're seeing that as well. Building that trust is, is a, is a struggle. Yeah. And I mean, the, what did you call it? The sniff, the circle and sniff. Yeah. I, I truly do think in the wildland fire community that the majority of firefighters are probably in that right now, even with those new mental health programs kind of like hitting the ground Yeah. Um, and people hiring, they're like, well, who's that? You yeah. know, why do I trust them? Mm-hmm. You know, do, do they have experience in fire? Right. Cause that's a whole nother level. If they don't one have it, one of the first questions. Fire, yeah. And if they don't come up through fire, it's an immediate like, well, then why should I trust you? Yep. You don't have the slides I do. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is not only does it take a while to get trust, but man, you can lose trust in the fire community so fast by not showing up and taking care of people like you said you would. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so it's like, OK, these programs are in place, but are they showing up every day? And do you feel like they're showing up? And you saw that even um, in that article that was excellent, by the way, in January that you wrote um, around like, I'm trying to remember the question you specifically asked, but like what was working um, for folks to feel supported. And one of the things that someone had mentioned over and over was the CISM program. Yeah. Yep. Um, and how that, you know, they felt like on their worst day, they were able to bring in folks that were culturally competent and, you know, peers to help and that that was helpful. Yeah. So it was a, it was a poll on, do you think and try, do you think that you're overhead and I meant like Washington DC and like the, the mm-hmm. higher regional types folks were doing a good job. We're looking out for your interests and did you trust them? And, uh, it was, you know, it was widely skewed to no, we don't really think that they are, but yeah, yeah. in that section where it stood out is people who had been involved in tragedy, um, or fatality fires Mm-hmm. We're reaching out saying, listen, we know there's a lot of stuff going on, but when it came to that, they they had our back 100%, which kind of surprised me. And um, But at the same time, it's like, okay, when people actually needed help, they were actually there. And that says a lot. It does say a lot. And that's, that's how you build that trust, Yeah, right? That continually being able to say you show up for your folks. And I mean, you know, that even just being on a crew, like if you weren't willing to, uh, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk and actually show up, like you said, you're going to, they're not going to trust you. Mm -hmm. And they're definitely never going to talk to you again. And so seeing that was really exciting. And I think I remember messaging you when that happened because I was at the casualty assistance program first ever Academy where we taught a lot of mental health classes down in Tennessee at the Tennessee, Kentucky fire Academy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was the first ever time that we were able to teach all these mental health classes in one place. And, um, a lot of students went through that 
And that article, no joke, came out at the same time while I was down there. And I was showing like all the people on the inside of the agency. And we got really excited because, you know, it takes a lot of our, of our life and a lot of passion to do that work, showing up for people on their worst day. And um, to hear that people felt that they were supported on their worst day or during hard times or during a line of duty. Oh my, I can't even tell you. It was like so reassuring. And I was like, okay, it's working. And it, it superseded the downfalls of the agencies of, Mm -hmm. of the things that are seen as, of, you know, the, the problems that are going on and whether it's pay or the series or whatever it is, the people that were involved in those things, that, it superseded all of those things that are perceived as problems, which mm-hmm. again is like, oh, okay, well that actually means a lot to these people. Yeah. Which was, I mean, it meant a lot to us, you know, cause it yeah. takes years to build that trust with the field and for people to say, you know, like this program did work for me and I would use it again or I would recommend it, man, Yeah, you know, that's how you're getting that's how you get the trust and the buy for these mental health programs coming up. And that's what people have to look forward to, right? When when that trust is um, met with those new programs that are getting put in place, the it'll, it'll be so much smoother, right? Mm -hmm. It'll be something that maybe the culture will accept a little bit more and more each year. Yeah. I didn't accept it. When we had a schism on our crew, I didn't accept Uh it. I I, I regret that now uh, looking back on it. Um, it was a 100% ego. It, it, it was mm-hmm. nothing else. I was fully ego driven and thought to myself, I'll handle all this, whatever it is inside of me, I'll handle it on my own. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to talk to these people. Um, and I was like one of four or five that didn't participate. And, uh, I don't know how the others feel. Uh, I know mm-hmm. there's some folks that it ended their career. Like they couldn't continue fighting fire especially the people that were very, very close to the accident. Um, But again, you know, like talking to people who have been involved in it and who run these things, it's like, man, I, I, I regret not taking part in that because I, I now understand the value of it and just being in that peer support group. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, I came up, well, I will say I the same thing happened to me, Mm Tim. So in 2016, um, and many people remember this in Nevada for the BLM, we had an engine rollover and, um, I was the neighboring station to it mm-hmm. and it was on my district, you know, like the whole district and, uh, it impacted our whole district significantly with those line of duties. Um, and what I remember when they said they didn't explain even what SISM stood for, um, you know, we just got like this and I didn't even get an email. I was a seasonal, so I didn't even have an email address. Yep. And, um, we were told through, you know, word of mouth, like, oh, the SISM team's coming in and they're going to talk to us. And I said, I'm, and I was a clinician at this point for three years already. Okay. And I said, I'm not going to talk to this weird SISM team coming in. Yeah. Right. Who, like, who are and they? Who are they? Yeah. And how dare they think they can come in here and tell me how I'm going to feel, you yeah. know? Yep. Um, and, and I was just like, this is crazy. You know, like, I can't believe this is how we're going to handle this situation. And now looking back, I regret not going. And the most amazing things came out of that were people found me. The SISM program found me. Mm-hmm. And they said, why is a mental health counselor on an engine? And I said, because I want to be. Yeah. And, want to be um, on an engine. Yeah. And they, they were like, 
have you heard of this peer support program? And I was just like, no. And they started explaining, you know, what critical incident stress was and how they come in after a serious injury or line of duty death and other reasons why too. If, you know, an employee died of cancer, mm-hmm. you know, and employees were impacted. And I was just like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Um, and I had never been through one because I rejected going. Uh, and I started being a CISM peer after some training and started being a peer supporter and helping other people. And then it elevated to being a CISM lead and going out and taking CISM teams out with, you know, a couple peer supporters and a clinician. And then I started helping coordinate um, in the region, uh, in Region 4 specifically, every now and then as like fill in as needed. And then I worked at the national office and really got to see, you know, the line of duties and serious injuries across the country and provided support at that level. And then I was just like, last year, you know what? Maybe it's just time for me to go out and be a system clinician and, you know, be able to talk to these folks because I can speak their language. Yeah. Can you, if, if there's other clinicians listening right now, can you maybe give an outline? And I know we've talked about this before of how wildland firefighters are just different people and the tendencies that we have. And when it comes to like trying to help someone, um, Mm -hmm. maybe some of the different approaches you have to take simply because of how we're all wired. Yeah. I think that a lot of it goes to educating yourself ahead of time. You know, like when you do, when you're a clinician and clinicians, if you're listening to this, you'll know, but when you do your intake process and someone tells you your profession is really anything in first responder, but specifically wildland fire, um, I immediately go to, you know, starting to think, okay, what, what are these people like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the typical problems that, you know, we see in the wildland fire community and the same things goes with military and structure. Right. And, um, so what I can say is pre-educate yourself, right, on these folks. Um, one of the things that I did recently is I taught at the Idaho Counseling Association to a room full of counselors about wildland fire culture. And um, specifically what I was talking about is our language. Yeah. You know, when I say, when I say, oh, you know, I did this burnout operation and, you know, I had stress from it. Maybe it was a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as a clinician, burnout is something different. Yeah, you're worn right. down, you're, you know, yeah. you're mentally burnt out instead of like, I actually just went and lit the forest on fire and then it was totally yeah. fucked and now I'm stressed exactly. out. Exactly. And so yeah. when it comes to culture and understanding the wildland fire population, it's like understanding some of the language and not also getting so consumed with asking questions of, oh, what's a smoke jumper do? Oh, are you a smoke jumper because you fight fire? Yeah. Um, or, you know, oh, you get a ride in helicopters? Tell me about the helicopters. What kind? Um, when you get so involved in, like, your curiosity, what happens is is they feel like they're just educating you and they're not getting any kind of help or service from you. Yeah. And they stop coming. Yeah, and I'm, so ba- I'm you, basically telling you about my job and not about myself. Yeah, and I'm not going there because of typically maybe my job. It may be because me and my girlfriend just broke up and I'm devastated. Yeah. And I'm a human being just like the next, Mm -hmm. right? And I want to talk about the relationship. I don't want to talk about that I ride in helicopters. Mm -hmm. And and so that's always, that was one of my number one advice. And then a lot of it too, Tim, was what we talked about. It's like, you know, the the pack mentality. Well, part of the year, sometimes you don't have your pack. And how do people struggle during transitions? And they transition every year on and off. 
even if they're primary and they or they they're permanent and they work all year. Yeah, there's right? still a shift. There's a shift. There's an off season and a, a busy season. A busy season. Mm-hmm. So I call it. And, the, I call it the office season and the fire season. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect way to put it. And mm-hmm. so even explaining that, you know, having an understanding of like they're not fighting fire all year, but they're still doing something, and that transition in itself of maybe not having the same support network. That's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel vulnerable and you don't know. Like a lot of the the venting and the relief that folks get during mm-hmm. the summer is just bullshitting before and after work or on your five minute break when you dig in your pocket for a 27 day old cliff bar. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can just bullshit and, and kind of vent that way. Uh, but now folks are waking up in the morning. It's cold. It's gray. It depends where you are. But, you know, and uh there's no one there to, there's no one there to shoot the shit with. And, uh, that has such a huge effect more so than people even realize. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that, that lack of connection or that bullshitting time that you normally would have had, you know, maybe during the actual busy season, your fire season. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a lot of the times when you're doing a lot of like problem solving, even on your own personal life. Like, you know, Hey Tim, I'm really struggling with this relationship I'm in. You know, man, it was, it was, you know, this is what's been going on and we're debriefing, you know, we're debriefing and we're talking about things and you're throwing out ideas and maybe some things that have helped you. Now, all of a sudden I'm in my office season or in my, you know, off season where I'm laid off Yeah. and I don't have you. Yep. And now who am I going to talk to that understands not only what I do for a living, but maybe what I'm going through during this transition. Yeah. It's amazing. Every day someone on the crew would be discussing their relationship and they would, uh-huh. and they would try to be hashing out like, what the hell is going on and where should I go with this? And, uh, yeah, you're trying to figure it out with your buddies. And then in the, and then when that fire season ends, you're now with the person that you're in the relationship with. And I know we've talked about this before and, uh-huh. You know, it's a shift for the, your partner as well. It like yeah. they have to go through this massive shift. Can you kind of talk about the whether it's the misconceptions in in relationships during that shift, or maybe just what's not understood? Like, because and and I know we've talked about this at length, and I know we both said like we should have recorded those conversations. But we yeah, I know. But um, like you get you're in my shoes. So it's a gal, you get off, you get off, uh, work and you're winding down the fire season. You're usually uh-huh. gone for 17 days at a time. And now you're there every single day. And uh-huh. it's, it's not only is it a shift for you and, and for the firefighter, it might be awesome at first because you are constantly there and seeing the person that you love and you always were missing. But on the flip side, the person who's been missing you, um, is now living with you full time and thinking to themselves, well, this is a massive change and this doesn't seem like the person I knew. And then that's when struggles start, right? Oh yeah. And you know, I always say that the number one I see where the struggles are starting is a communication breakdown because we speak different, different languages, right? Like hundred percent. Like the, the actual language that we're speaking is different. We're not even, one person is not hearing because you're not even speaking the same language. It's like speaking Spanish to someone that speaks English and they don't speak each other's language. 
it kind of feels that way. Oh, and I'm sure you've been in a relationship. I was, to, I was like told that. that countless times. You don't understand what I'm saying. And it's like, exactly. yeah, I do. I just heard what you said. You said a bunch of words. It was in a sentence and I understood it. Like, but I, I was used to like taking orders and giving orders later in my career. And, uh, that's just a tough, that's a tough transition to make. And even, uh, Ben Strawn of Eldorado, he was saying that he struggled with that. He would get home and he had all women in his household, but he was used uh-huh. to giving orders and talking to people like do this, do that. And for the longest time, didn't realize like that doesn't work. It doesn't work well in the household. They're not even hearing you. Yeah. I mean, and you're not hearing them. And, and so that direct communication style that we use, like in the fire world, uh, and even on the radio, like radio talk, talk to your significant other like that, but they don't have that background in fire specifically. And even if they do, I tell you right now, if you want to upset me, Tim, text me, copy. Yeah. Copy that. If you text me that, I will spiral because I'm like, you know what? We're, you know, I, you know, this is a different time. This is my personal time, not my work time. Yeah. Now I'll say copy that to anyone I'm working on the line with. I went out as a heavy equipment boss last year. I'm sure I said copy to a lot of people. Right. But when it comes to a relationship and you're telling your significant other copy, not going to go well for you. Yeah, I, I already can tell you it's not going to go well. Um, I used to try and line my kids out for mealtime and then be pissed they were taking more than 10 minutes for dinner. Yeah, why, Did not why is well. everybody moving so slow? Yeah, like, don't you know we have something else to do? Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm running at full speed and they're over there just like running their normal schedule and it looks different for me. Yeah. You know, especially, especially coming off of the fire season. Uh, the other one is, and I saw this a lot with my dad coming home from deployments, you know, from um, Iraq and Afghanistan, but I see this a lot in fire. They're a stranger. Oh, um, 100%. Yeah. And so when you come home and yeah, you may be home for those two or three days between assignments, it's who who are you? How are you going to fit into this schedule? Yeah, because we're still moving. We've yeah. We've been living life for the last 18 days or six months or whatever it is. And yeah. now you're just popping in. Thanks for bringing the box of donuts and, and washing a couple dishes. But hey, there's a hell of a lot going on around here. Yeah. Thanks for bringing the bag of snacks from fire camp. Yeah. Um, but it'd be nice if you were here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, once again, it comes back to communicating what those expectations are, you know, on, during, during the season and, and then maybe in the office season or slow season or off season, whatever you want to call it. And how would you, how would you suggest that conversation start when, whether it's the, whether it's the partner who's at home, who's feeling Uh the, the tension or whatever, or whether it's the firefighter, I think it usually takes the firefighter a little longer to realize like, okay, there's a little bit of tension in this house. Um, uh, And I think that's for a number of reasons, like the people who have been home and the people that you live with know that you've had a, a, a very busy, you know, arduous time and they don't want to disturb that. They don't want to disturb you. They know you're tired. So they just kind of let it play. But at the same time, you're like, oh, thank God I'm home. This is great. And then the little things start to stack up. How how would you suggest that the communication, you know, flow to, to make all of that easier and understandable for folks. How would you go about that? Man, you really got to set the tone. Yeah. Um, you got to have like rules of engagement, right? It's like, 
Um, are we going to have a conversation, you know, preseason? I sure hope so. Um, and what those expectations are, you know, I'm not going to be here. How can I support you? What are your needs? How can I support you in those needs even gone? Is that sending you a text during, you know, every evening when I do get a chance and I have cell coverage mm-hmm. of just, you know, I'm thinking of you. Honestly, that might be all you need. Yeah. But it, having that conversation of like, what are your needs? How can I meet those needs during season and in the off season? Um, and then spelling out reality. I think that's where I see a lot of issues in relationships and fire. What is the actual reality during a busy fire season? What does that look like? Because if you're not getting someone ready for that and they don't understand fire, they've never been in fire, they're not fully understanding that a, sh- you know, a, uh, role is 17, 18 days gone. Yeah. And now they may be watching your dog or they may be, you know, paying the bills. Yeah. They, they take over all the responsibility. And, but they just need, the thing is, is a lot of times people are willing to do that if they knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the unknown and the not knowing that now I'm expected to do this because we didn't talk about it, that that's where problems arise. Right. So really having that open communication. And yes, I know it can be difficult to have, but I always look at it as even like having business meetings, you know, with your significant other. Yeah. Or Um, just like game it out. Like it's a vacation. Hey, here's, here's what's mm -hmm. expected. This is what we're going to need, you Mm -hmm. know, um, you know, and kind of, you know, I'm a big fan of lists. If you need to jot some things down and make lists, that helps. And at least on the, through my personal experience, and I've lived it all. I've I've dated gals who weren't in fire while I was in fire. I've dated gals in fire while I was in fire. And then I've dated gals in fire when I was out of fire. Uh-huh. And uh, it's all different. It's, it's all different. Um, and you do have to try to navigate that. And I know I had shortcomings and, and like I said, they would, they would say things like, you don't, how do you not understand what I'm saying? And it's like, what are you, yeah. talking, what are you talking about? But, um, on the side of, and I'm saying this through personal experience, I'm not saying this is everybody, but they want that that connection in the nighttime. Hey, what's up? Just got off the line, checking in. Like they uh-huh. don't they don't necessarily want a 15 to 25 minute phone call. And oh. and when I'm through the summer, when I'm updating all of these fires and the podcast kind of just turn into national fire updates, I have uh-huh people's wives and significant others being like, Hey, you mentioned this fire. That's where he was dispatched. I haven't heard from him in six days. What's going on. And I take the time and I'm like, listen, that's in the sawtooth mountains. There's not a lot of cell coverage there. He probably, he probably doesn't have cell coverage. You know, nothing's crazy happening on that fire, but they just want a little reassurance that you didn't die. You know, like like your femur's not shattered and you're on a cliff somewhere with a billy goat licking your face. Well, and that goes back to setting expectations. Like if I know I'm going on a fire assignment like I did two years ago to the salmon chalice, I'm going to let my partner know, right? Like I'm going to the salmon chalice. I'm going to be spiked out and I'm not going to have cell coverage. Yeah, you're not going to hear be able from to, I'll, I'll try to get a hold of you as soon as I can. Yeah. Um, and that's once again, setting expectations, right? Of like, this is what the, the reality is. That my situation is right now. And this is what I'm going to. Mm-hmm. You know, and letting them know as much as you can information wise 
spelling out the reality of, I may not be able to get a hold of you, but I promise as soon as I can, I will. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, and then maybe giving them all also opportunity to be able to check in with the, with the, uh, what, what am I thinking of the website? Sit to check, not check the sit report, but the, uh, fire oh my god well they can follow you oh like you're saying uh, yeah i know what you're saying um uh, nc webs like to check what's yeah. going on with yeah, the yeah. fires there yeah if they're, if they're good link. at it they will give you a daily update and well uh, and yeah, i've been ahead. a pio on teams and we do the daily updates and post them every day on nc web yep. and so to me it's like man that's a great way to just even show someone ahead of season of like, hey, if you're wanting to get updates, there's a really great website. You should bookmark it on your phone. And if I tell you, you know, I'm going to the, I don't even know what fire, Mudlick yeah. um, and Salmon Chalice, uh, then you can look it up right here and show them. And then say, you know, there will be daily updates. So if you can't get a hold of me, you'll be able to get updates here. Yep. Because many times what's going on is that people just want information because the unknown is scary. And if they don't hear from you for six days, they're predicting the worst. Oh, they instantly think the worst. It's just human nature. Oh, it is. And and if you're giving them tools ahead of time so that they can, you know, calm that a little bit, shoot. that's That goes back into like setting the tone, spelling out reality, giving people tools. We all want tools, right? Yeah. We want mental health programs. We want things to work for us while we're out there. Well, why wouldn't our partners want the same thing? Yeah, like I, this is a very crude and rudimentary explanation of what I, like how I explain this. And, uh, you know, if there's people out there that are offended by this, I really don't care. But it's <laughs> it's like human nature, It's that's been ingrained, right? So I, you know, we're in, we're in caveman days or primal human days. And we're, we're going to go hunt a woolly mammoth. And, you know, I'm gone for a week and the people who are back in the village or in the caves are like, oh, he got a saber tooth tiger got him or a woolly mammoth trampled him to death. And now we have to fend for ourselves because he's never coming back. And then you have someone climb on top of a high peak and you see a smoke signal that that is able to be seen you know, up to a hundred miles away, 50 miles away. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and all of this relief because there's a sign that things are okay. And mm -hmm. I think that sticks with humans it, to the point now where now it's just a cell phone and you pick it up and you set, you, you still have a signal on your cell phone and, uh, you know, you reach out and say, Hey, I'm okay. Everything's fine. And, you know, you still get that relief of, oh, okay. Okay. It's not, I'm not, I can stop letting my mind run wild. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the times too, I think that that goes back to we're also by giving too much information where we might be suffocating our partner. Sure. But I also think that, you know, if they don't have that, they're going to predict the worst. But I like your example of like the, the smoke signal. They're just looking for that signal. Yeah. Just, Hey, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I might not be there, but you know that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> I was just going to say some of the other things that I see besides just communication is like the railroading, though, and not validating someone's emotions. Like if someone's like, you know, it's really hard for me when you're gone for 18 days uh, for whatever reason, you know, I miss you, whatever. Um, and just saying, you know, it is what it is. Well, you just invalidated 
what their experience is when you're gone. Yeah. And that's a hundred percent real. And I've experienced both sides, but you know, I know, mm-hmm. I know I did that when I was active fighting fire and, uh, mm-hmm. women that I was involved with and in relationships with who were in fire when I was outside of fire, you know, like a couple months would go by and, you know, we're in August and we'd be out to dinner and I'd be like, I love it when you're home. It's so great when you're home, but I just want to make it known to you that uh-huh. you in four months, you haven't asked me how I've been while you're away. Like uh-huh. you, you get home, it's in the shower, you know, we have some cocktails, we make dinner, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's great. It's the best thing ever. But you know, it's just in the back of my mind, you've never asked like, Hey, how is, how is your two weeks been? And it is, I gave it when I was a firefighter and I received it when I stepped away of like, it's that, it's that lingering feeling of like, do you even care? And you know that, you know, they do, but you know, I, I understand that the brain is running at a thousand miles an hour and they got other things on their mind. Is my laundry done? Where are we going next? There's a big fire in region. Are we going to go there? You know, oh, we have to, you know, we didn't do refurb when we got back. We got a refurb before we go out. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. And they are just so excited to see you at some times that that just doesn't, it's not expressed. But like you said, just that little thing, like they are offering you an olive branch. Yeah. Saying, hey, but you know, this is, this is how I, how I feel. And it's, it's hard for people in that alpha pack mentality to be vulnerable and say, hey, this is how I feel. And even accept it because it's an energy field both ways, right? When mm-hmm. someone's trying to tell you how you feel, how they feel, but your energy field is like, well, I don't want to talk about that. They just hit a brick wall and, you know, they feel rejected and it, and it goes downhill from there. Well, and typically with this population, when you feel bad, right? Like I've been there too. When you feel bad, you're immediately like, well, what do you want me to do? Because you're thinking of problem solving because we're really good problem solvers. and 100%. At work, yeah. but not at home, yeah. not at home, because oftentimes what is what needed at home is not a, a, a solution. Yeah, I don't it's, want you to solve my problems. Yeah. yeah, but oftentimes we'll say, well, what do you want me to do, quit? Yeah, and that is a typical response. When, like, re- when, when really quit? they just want, no, I, you know, I love you. I just want you to know that I'm, you know, it, it's hard for me sometimes. Exactly. They just want validation and they want you to communicate and not with direct communications or your great problem solving skills at work. They literally just want to feel heard and that you understand where they're coming from. Uh, But oftentimes what I see in the wild and fire community is especially during season when their brain is somewhere else, right? They're thinking of work, packing, laundry. They look at those relationships as energy drains or sucks. Yeah. And they're just like, oh my God, I come home for two days. All this person does is complain. All they do is tell me all their emotions and how mad, how upset it, they are when I'm gone. Why do I even come home? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. Why, do, I'm not even having a good time. Why did I come home? I'd re- like exactly. there, there was people and uh, I'd love to interview these folks and, and I, I know they would come on. I just haven't reached out yet where there was folks that I knew where day 14 was the worst day for them. Yeah. And it's the day you're going home and they just dreaded it and they hated it. And like the crew would be in a, just the best mood. And these one or two individuals would just be fuming, storming around. And you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's not good. 
and it brings everybody down, but that's a legit thing. Like there's people who are just like, why, why I'm, I feel better out here. I know I feel better out here. Why am I even going home? And, uh-huh. uh, it can be all sorts of things the the communication issue or just like that, the way I look at it. And again, it's back to this transition thing. <laughs> this is just kind of silly, but it's the way I feel. Um, firefighters during the season need to be better at cuddling and talking. Okay. <laughs> okay. But firefighters uh, in the off season or in the office season need to be better at giving space and allowing breathing room because yep. what we've talked about before is when you get off fire and maybe you're not a full-time permanent and you're getting some time off, you are basically, your partner is welcoming in an unemployed homeless person into their house. And, a stranger. Yeah, a stranger. A stranger who's unemployed and homeless. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, that can be suffocating and they're wondering why you're always around and so on and so forth. But in the during the busy, busy fire season, they want that closeness and they want to have those conversations. So that's the way I put it. In the fire season, everybody out there, you should cuddle more and you should talk. And in the off season, you should allow some some breathing space. Is that fair or is that just crazy? No, no. I think that's 100% accurate. And I think that goes back to even like that work about life balance that everyone's always striving for. And uh, that swing that happens during those transitions of like, one of the things I always say is, you know, in fire, you're never going to be 50-50 on work-life balance. It's, this is not the job for you. If yeah. you want 50-50, this will never happen. Um, but what happens is, is we give, let's say, 20% to our relationships back home during fire season and 80% to our job. And then come office time or off season, uh, we swing to 80% relationship, 20% job. Well, during that 80%, when that person that you, you know, care about has been fully independent, not relying on you and not knowing when you'd even be home, yep. right? Doing everything um, because they love you and care about you. All of a sudden, now you're 80% focused on them and you're like, oh my gosh, what can I do for you? I love you so much. I want to show this, right? Like it's suffocating, Right. It's almost like you're following them around like a dog and being like, how can I help? How can I help? Because I feel so bad that I'm not around. Yeah. But now I just want to do everything and solve all your problems. And I'm always here. Yep. And it's like the opposite happens. Right. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're always here. I just want you to go back to fire. Yeah. And then how how uh, cared about do you feel like then? Well, yeah, then that's when you start thinking, well, why did I even come home? I just want to go back out on fire. Exactly. Exactly. And those, those transitions, you know, don't sleep on those. (laughs) Be really thinking about what can you do? I think that advice of like in the off season, making sure that you're giving space, you're taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. just as much as you're taking care of others and you're not suffocating those people that are in your support system is key. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other, the other full swing is, is how are you connecting with people during the season? Are you sending that text when you can? Are you making that phone call when possible? Are you, um, you know, cuddling and spending time with those people on days off? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that you're dead on with that around, especially relationships. And the whole thing about taking care of yourself in the off season as well. You know, just imagine that when you get back from a fire and I know we've all done it, you have a hard 14 day roll you probably starved of a little bit of calories and you stop in the Holiday Inn on the drive home and you get out of the shower and you flex and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm ripped. You know, look at this. 
Um, but then in the off season and your partner sees that as well. Don't think that they don't. And mm-hmm. uh, in the off season, it's like, okay, it's back to cheeseburgers and beer and you put on 20 pounds. Like that's kind of a mental, you know, fuck for your partner. It's like, well, you're like you said, you've turned into a stranger. You're, you're mm-hmm. not what you were. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it as well. I'm a huge advocate of that. Like to just, you should just constantly be physically active and trying to take care of yourself through the entire year. Um, but yeah, like when you, when you see someone transition and change like that in just a couple months time, and they're also acting like a stranger who's homeless and unemployed, it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to have some relationship problems developing out of this. Yeah, no, totally. And then to even go back even on that like body image thing too, one of the things that I see a lot or I've talked to a lot of firefighters about, especially since I've been on the outside, is that body dysmorphia. Oh, it's it's prevalent. We don't talk about that. Prevalent. We don't talk about that in this community. Of oh, like, my God. Yeah, you may be jacked and feel like the best shape of your life in like May, June, July, August, you know, whatever. And then in the off season, now you're drinking beer and, you know, going out to eat every meal with your buddies and skiing and, but not getting the same exercise in, yeah. um, the same calorie burn, but you're eating more uh-huh. and you're putting on that weight. Um, yeah. That body dysmorphia thing can down and cause a lot of mental havoc on an individual. Yeah, because you think you, you just by visual, you think you're less of and, you know, you're a shell of your former self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's 100 percent true. 100 percent true. Well, and, you know, even on that note, too, even with relationships, you I don't know about you, but have you noticed when firefighters typically break things off with relationships? When What time of year is that? Have you noticed it? Uh, well, yeah, I write about it. It's uh, either right before the season starts or right yep. afterwards, but it's usually right before the season starts. It's right before the season starts is when yeah. I see it the most. Yeah. And, and it's that because that transition and that communication, those expectations, you're not clear. And it's like, you know what? It's easier just not to have to deal with this. Um, so I'm just going to like terminate everything in my life that takes work because I'm given everything to fire season, everything to the job. Um, and I see that also as a major issue uh, around relationships in this career field. Yeah. It's treated like a seventh grade history project where it's <laughs> like, I've put this off. I know I should do it. I I have the supplies needed to complete this, but really, whatever, it's not going to ding me that bad. I'll just do the next one and oh. I'll just move through this. And yeah, right before the season starts, everything everything comes to a head and, you know, it's a lot of reasons like I don't want to bring this person through this or they won't understand what it's like to go through this. And like you said, it all comes back to communication and, and yeah, I, I don't know why it's, I do know why communication is scary to people because you have to make yourself vulnerable to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. but man, a lot of people are scared of that. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it all goes back to, um, feeling safe to be able to, to be able to have that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And having the security to do so. And if you don't feel that way, then you're not going to do it. Yep. Point blank. Yep. And so you really have to be in a relationship where you're already feeling safe and secure with that individual to even get to that level. So this might not be someone that you're like dating for two or three months, right? Where it's still new, it's fresh. You met them, you know, at the ski resort in December and you're trying to get them ready in March for you to leave. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this You may not be able to take that deep dive with that person because you don't feel safe to have those conversations yet. But I still challenge people to practice because those are the best people to practice with. If you feel like, oh, this might not work out, well, why not practice with that person then? Yeah, it just it's like an open mic instead of yeah. the, instead of the big stadium show. Exactly. Yeah. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you try to practice that communication with those individuals of like, hey, this is what the um, you know, when I typically when I go out and you know, I'm on an assignment, I'm gone for this amount of days, I may not be able to talk to you. And it's not because I don't care about you. It's because that I may be out of cell reception Mm -hmm. and really spelling out the job. You know, my job isn't an eight to five Monday through Friday. Um, I talked to, this is so random, but I feel like I run into people on purpose. I was at the ski resort in Boise recently, um, taking my kids to ski lessons. And uh, the woman at the coffee place, just like this little coffee shop in the resort, she was like, oh, what do you do for a living? We were BSing about counseling. She was talking about how one of her ex-boyfriends went to counseling. And I was like, oh, what did he do for a living? Wildland firefighter. Fascinating. I'm like, oh, that's great that he went to counseling, you know? And she's just like, yeah, it ended up not working out, though, because he wasn't willing to communicate to me what he was willing to communicate with someone that had nothing to do with our relationship, like a counselor. And I was just like, oh, man. Uh, and you could see where it happened. She was like, we broke up around April and I was like, that sucks. You know, last April. And um, I was classic, but it was one of those where I'm like, how can we do better next time? Like where, what are we, are we able to gather some lessons learned if we want to convey this back to like wall and fire? What are some lessons learned that we may be gathering about how we have relationships? What went well, what didn't, and how can we change next time? Mm -hmm. Right. And really with communication, if you're having repeat cycles of where you're breaking up with someone every April, really reflecting on like, what's not going well? Why is this happening again? You know, is this because I'm not communicating? Is this because I'm not approachable and I'm standoffish and pushing that relationship away? Cause it's not priority, you know, mm-hmm. should I be in a relationship? Yeah. That's, you know? even, that's even a question that needs to be asked. Yeah, quite frankly, I think about that often when I talk to individuals is like, okay, so you're, you're focused on working on your division and getting into a fire leadership role. Doesn't sound like you're going to be home a lot if you're on a team. Yeah. Should you be in a relationship? You know, is that a priority for you right now? And if it isn't, maybe you shouldn't be for a year or two, you know, yeah, that's okay. And you have, and again, you have to communicate that and, uh, and it's okay to, you know, not everyone's going to accept it the same way. Like, I think people need to understand that, but it's okay to try to hash this stuff out with your, with your partner or with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with your husband, your wife, like it's okay. You're a partnership. Like it's okay to, to talk about this stuff. It may not always be easy, uh-huh. um, but it's important. It's important to do that. And for people, I think who struggle with that, the, the way I would just like, rudimentary just break it down is if you see that there's tension like like you were saying have an aar but don't be so strict and like don't pull out your irpg and run through the checklist but like cuddle with them and have an aar hey how are you doing how am i doing how did this go what can we do better um you know and, and allow people for you know to give that input 
and and it's supposed to as as industry wide that AAR is supposed to be a like a you know quote safe space. People are allowed to say what they want to say, mm-hmm. and that's that's the area that we're allowing for that to happen. So just create that in your relationship, and you know I'm not saying this will save everybody and things will be all peachy afterwards, but it, it it's at least a tool to to help help you you know communicate better with the people that you're with well and the language that you feel comfortable approaching them with yeah right it doesn't have to be the formal like you said aar but man being willing to ask the questions and open the floor like one yeah Yeah. you know especially if you're feeling that tension or you're like you know hey i don't think this is going to work well how about instead of making it not work have that conversation 100 percent. so i got this is kind of a big one for me, and I know we've talked about it before. Uh, substance abuse is huge in in the industry. Um, I've seen it. I know you've seen it. Everybody's everybody's seen it. Um, yeah. How? And it's a tough one to kick. Like it's really tough to kick, uh, especially alcohol abuse. Um, mm-hmm. If someone wants help with that, do you have like a go to? Like, hey, this is what I would suggest, um, or, or even if someone that, you know, a loved one of that individual wants to confront them about it, um, or the individual firefighter themselves know they have a problem, uh, where does someone start? Yeah. So, um, if someone that, you know, or yourself is having problems with substance, one of the things that I always suggest is, Start at the start at the lower, unless you truly are like, wow, I'm really suffering from an addiction and I need to get like full treatment, you know, and I can't be around this substance at all. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I always say from like the starting with is always to get help is talk to a buddy, uh, look for resources locally, like a counselor or even an outpatient clinic, you know, in some of the larger cities, they have outpatient clinics for substance. So you don't have to go full inpatient just to get treatment, your insurance is, uh, the majority of you will have coverage of some sort around substance abuse. And it's not like it necessarily just pops because you use your Blue Cross insurance that you have a problem and that's going to show up on your physical for your next, you know, time you have a physical with the doctor, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the best time to get treatment is usually in the slow season, the office season, right? When everyone takes their month-long vacation all of December, yeah. why not go to treatment during that time? Yep. No one will know, quite frankly. Like, literally no one will know unless you tell them. And so um, some of the outpatient clinics uh, have specific programs for substance abuse with first responders. There's not ever going to be one that's just wildland. So I don't want you to get discouraged because you're like, they don't have a wildland drug and alcohol program, right? Like they're not there yet. We're such a little subculture of first responders that you're really going to be looking for programs for first responders, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how to access that? A lot of it is going to be searching online for, you know, what's in your area or state if you want to stay in state. There are also other programs. um, I'm trying to think one's called Shatterproof in Florida. What they do is they bill your insurance for like a 30-day inpatient for the rehab um, but they don't make you pay a copay. They write it off. So you actually can go there as a first responder and not pay a dime, but it's called shatterproof. And I believe it's not just in Florida. I think there's another one, maybe in Arizona. Okay. 
But there's a lot of programs out there for first responders around substance abuse because it is such a problem. Um, and they will show on their websites, right? They'll show what insurances are covered. And you're always able to call and see if they possibly have like some kind of scholarship fund as well. Like if you don't have insurance in your off season, maybe seeing like what kind of coverage they have for those that like can't afford it mm -hmm. because they get grants, you know, they get grants, they get scholarships um, from nonprofits and things like that. So oftentimes they may be able to get you in. But I always tell people, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, and, and, and like you're saying, there's tons and tons of options out there. Um, and the first step is you asking for help. Like that's just that's oh, yeah. just what it is, admitting that, hey, this is what it is. Um, I know people from Wildland Fire who have gone through all sorts of these these programs that you've you've talked about. They go into they've done rehab, they've mm -hmm. they've gone to counselors, um, and some of them say that AA is good for them. And and I think that kind of has a cliche around it. And you know, like, hello everybody, my name's Tim. Hi Tim, you know, I'm an alcoholic, whatever. Um, and people view that differently. But what Wildland Firefighters who have gone to that have told me is it feels like what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. You're, you're, you're just kind of bullshitting with people and talking about your problems. Like you were underneath the juniper tree and, and yes, there are, there are people who won't go to that because ultimately one of the steps is you have to, you know, let God into your life and, and, and understand that that's the only way to heal. And I know that's not for everybody, but what I'm saying is, is there's a community there and there's wildland yeah. firefighters that meet up there, and again, they're their support. Like when R and R hits, they'll call one of their wildland firefighter buddies who they know is in the AA program, and that's kind of how it is. They give you a buddy to to link up with, yeah. and uh, you give a call. Hey, I'm thinking about drinking. You know, just wanted to reach out, and and there's a support system there. The end all is there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options. There is a there. lot of options. And the benefit of like Alcoholics Anonymous AA is that it's a peer led program, right? Yeah. And so it's very similar to what we do even on our crews, you know, our modules is mm -hmm. what we, we solve a lot of problems with our peers, you know, before we even ever get to, you know, going to something like AA. Um, but I like Alcoholics Anonymous too, because you know how we and fire call it having a battle buddy. Yeah. They have sponsors. So a lot of the systems set up by Alcoholics Anonymous is actually very similar. Um, and I think that that's why it's an easy program and transition into a program like that, but also it's outpatient. It's when you're able to go, you can go. Yep. Um, they normalize care. They take away the shame and they provide support. And so what I mean is, with the, you know, keeping things at a smaller level, if you want to, you could go to a council, let's say like once or twice a week, if need be, and then possibly also be getting, um, going to Alcoholics Anonymous for group support Yep. at the same time. And then never going inpatient, right? It depends on the person and what the need is, you know, and depends on what their level of uh, substance abuse is. At one point in my career, I worked at a methadone clinic, right? Mm -hmm. Those folks needed that clinic, you know, for their medication and, and to get off of a hard substance. So, you know, my emphasis is actually in um, addiction. I, I was in school a little bit longer and stayed for addiction. And yeah, addictions are hard to kick, but it's not impossible. But the other thing I will throw out, Tim, is it typically takes someone 
um, having to find the, the support that works for them to get sober. And then also uh, they have to want it. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's not something that someone can do for you. No. And oftentimes what people do is, you know, like, oh, I really know, let's say you, I really know Tim needs help. You know, so we're going to throw all these things at Tim or we're going to we're going to drive him to um, an, an inpatient clinic. Mm-hmm. Those t- t- people typically check out early. Right. They yeah. don't stay or they don't take it serious. And then they get out and they start drinking again. Um, and and then, you know, everyone around you that try to help you is so frustrated and mad now. Um, yeah, They don't and- even want our help. No, it's well, and it's not that, that they don't necessarily want your help. Maybe they're not ready. Well, I know, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like that's that can be the reaction of your loved ones. Like we did yeah. this out of love to try to help them, oh, and, yeah. ob- and obviously they don't want our help. You know? Yeah, yeah. Or but when that's not when that's not the case, they're just severely addicted, and they they need that kick. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that once again, I grew up as a military child, so. I saw addiction all over the place. And um, I think where we have gone wrong over time is we have normalized um, the use of alcohol and not just like a beer or two. We've normalized that like a substantial amount because we are next to your buddy and you guys are doing a full debriefing at the close of season that that's okay. Yeah. It's a hundred percent been normalized. Well, and honestly, I don't know about you, um, but I actually don't drink that much anymore. And if I go out with friends that are in fire and they are having five beers, they're going to not may possibly look at me like I'm normal, right? Like, yeah. well, why aren't you drinking? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've been asked that, right? Like, well, why aren't you drinking X, Y, and Z? Or, oh, you're a party pooper and you're calling it early. And it's like, no, I just, this isn't something that's important to me. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not okay to like drink every now and then, but I don't do this, you know? Yeah. And that is another, that's another transition that's hard for people who are coming out of it. Like I have friends and family members where just exactly what you're talking about, you you know, you go out for a dinner and it's old Mm -hmm. friends and everybody starts drinking and they, you know, they lean over and they're like, Hey, I got a bug out of here, man. Like you guys are all drunk and you're not who you normally are. And it's messing me up in the head and I just got to split and it's that's a tough transition as well because you are you are used to the friendships of going out to the bar and getting fucked up. Yeah. And you feel like you're missing something for a while because that that is how you connected. And that was part of the grief process, you know, like or whatever it is when, you know, when the Viking marauders finished pillaging villages and they were licking their wounds and cauterizing their buddy who lost a leg, they're drinking the monk's mead and getting all messed up to debrief and to kind of just to let it all out. And so it's just kind of like this warrior mentality, um, Uh of, of letting it all go. And I totally completely understand it. And I know why it's there and sure there are some therapeutic benefits from having that community after a quote battle to, to go through that and celebrate with. Um, but of course these things can turn into, a spiral and you can end up just losing control. And then in the off season, when you don't have your community, you're taking shots and slamming back beers by yourself to try to feel that, you know, that ceremony that it once was, um, which mm-hmm. now has just turned into a, an addiction that's, you know, causing havoc. Yeah, no. And 
I think you're exactly right that there's just a lot of peer pressure and there's a lot of FOMO in there, you know, if you're missing out around substance. And so people just do, you know, it's just accepted. So they just do. Um, But once what's interesting and maybe Tim, you relate is, you know, getting out of being a permanent and full-time employee. It's one of those things where when I left, I was actually in 18 and eight, which was awesome. That was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, when I left, it was like, all of a sudden I was just like, oh, well, I don't necessarily fit in with this, this drinking thing. And like actually talking to friends and trying to like get back with my group here in Boise of friends that I had before I was in fire. Um, all of a sudden I felt very weird because it, I was like, wait, it's not normal to have three whiskeys at dinner. Yeah. I've told, right? I've totally lost friends over not living that lifestyle anymore. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Or going back to, you know, friends that you, that are not on fire and then being like worried that you have a problem when you're like, well, that's not a problem. Yeah. You know, this, this is accepted. Yep. Um, and it's different, right? Because even my dad, you know, being in the military, he still drinks. And it's one of those things where to him, that brings us closer, just like in fire, right? Yeah. It brings the community closer. And, um, yeah, by telling someone that you love and care about that, and especially in the fire community, that you you don't drink anymore, or you don't drink as much, um, that could be kind of a moment of like almost like shunning, if you will. Yeah, and I can even see that some people use it as a communication crutch, where yeah. I use I you know I drink so I can open up a little bit more, feel my feelings, you know. Uh, but if if you don't know, alcohol is a depressant narcotic, so that's not really helping the cause if you're already nope. going down that road. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, I'll, I'll admit it. When I have a couple drinks, I, I am, I'm usually free flowing communicator and say what's on my mind. But if I have a couple drinks, it's like, oh, okay, the floodgates are open and, and I can really just say what I want to say. So I think some people even use it as a crutch that way because speaking, yeah. speaking and saying what you feel is therapeutic. We know that. But there's a block in some individuals where that doesn't come easily, which is totally understandable. Um, but then you have a couple drinks and you're with your buddies and it's like, okay, that's how I can express myself and get all of this off my mind. So it feels good. Um, but ultimately the aftermath and the long-term effects is ultimately what starts to add up. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm not saying that I think that like the culture itself is like severely messed up. There are a lot of people that I think are take everything very, they do everything in moderation and are super responsible, but the ones that um, take it to the extreme, that's when you definitely are going to see those long-term impacts. But even from tobacco use, oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's not just alcohol, T- tobacco use, anything that's a legal substance that can be used, like those energy pills you were saying, yeah, they get abused. Oh, I had right? a buddy who chewed so much. He was a non-filtered cigarette smoker on the line as well. He was a saw guy and he just wanted his nicotine. And we were living together in the off season and he was having like dental issues from all of the the mm-hmm. tobacco use. And of course he didn't have insurance. And uh, I walked into the living room and he had a bottle of Johnny Walker red in his lap and a pair of pliers in his hand. And, oh God. Yeah. And he's like, uh, can you watch me in case I pass out? <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, yeah, for sure, man. I'll hang out. <laughs> you know, I'll hang out here. And it's, <laughs> it's probably nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, just stuck the pair of pliers in his mouth to the rotted tooth where he always stuck his dip in. 
and he just slowly wiggled it back and forth for probably 25, 30 minutes. And finally it popped out and blood gushing everywhere and slamming whiskey. And ultimately it went poorly and he had to actually go get professional dental work. But the moral of the story is, is yeah, like cramming, chew and smoking. Like I enjoy a puff off of a roll your own cigarette. Like I enjoy that at the end of the day, it's like, Oh wow. I'm not a smoker. I don't keep tobacco on me, but after a hard day's work, I totally get it. Like I give me a little Uh nicotine buzz. That feels good. But again, like everything else, it can, it can add up. And before you know it, you're asking your buddy to watch you while you yank your own teeth out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I said, anything could be abused. I mean, I think I've even told you, we've talked about this, like even physical exercise can be abused. Oh yeah. And I see that, you know, I see people almost use uh, exercise as punishment too. Oh, hundred percent. I need to wreck myself so I feel better. Yeah. That's what like, yeah. uh, I, that was a major problem for me. I've learned to take rest days and like feed myself and sleep appropriately and hydrate and eat the right stuff now. But even my massage therapist is like, I can't get stuff to release on you unless I like cause trauma and I like really yeah. hurt you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. My body responds well to that. And she's like, that uh-huh. is the weirdest thing ever. I'm like, well, it works. It's, it works. I know it's not great, but yeah, it's just, it's just the day in and day out of wrecking yourself. And then your body gets programmed to be like, Oh, okay, this is normal. This is totally normal. And I need to adapt to this and, and, you know, different synapses and connections are made and that's, you ultimately become wired a certain way. Yeah. Well, even so much so wired a certain way made me think of a conversation we've had around even like feeling like you need to put a pack on. Yeah. Yeah. Just give me some weight. I want to walk around, like give me something heavy to carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. that's fascinating, right? It's like we become so normalized even having weight yeah. on our back um, or traumatizing our body with either physical fitness or the job in itself. Um, and the years of abuse, man, they catch up. Oh, they, catch they up. definitely catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's close it out. Do you have anything coming up you want to tell folks about? Any words for the 2023 fire season? Um, anything that you're looking at uh, coming up here? Um, I think my, my words of wisdom are always going to be be preventative. Um, prepare your mental health just as much as you're preparing, hopefully right now for your physical, um, because we all talk about physical readiness, but are we talking about mental readiness and what that looks like for you? Cause it's going to look a lot different to you than it will me or Tim. Right. Mm-hmm. And so really getting yourself mentally ready, uh, for a season, uh, that could be a long one or it could be a slow one. Who knows? But the other thing is, is taking care of your mental health before it's a problem. You know, finding yeah. people that can help you before you need them, establishing care ahead of time. I openly talk about, you know, going and seeing my counselor once a month. And to me, I'm always just thinking, like, why doesn't everyone, just like you would maybe go to a chiropractor to get adjusted, why aren't you getting a mental adjustment, you know, and, and being willing to just go talk to someone and dump for an hour? Yeah. Like, take care of you, you know? Um, and so that's my advice preseason is like, Hey, how about you look right now for someone in your area that if you were having a real bad day that you could get a hold of um, before you need it? Because I'm telling you, when when the time is that comes and you need it and you're struggling with your mental health, the last thing that you're going to want or be able to do is to find help. 
So I tell people all the time, like, please preseason, like make a game plan. Who are you going to reach out to? Who's in your support system? Making sure to have that open communication with those people are what your needs are and what are their needs and expectations of you. Um, and then for my own business, close the gap. <clears throat> Hopefully I run into a lot of you this year. Um, I'm doing a lot of trainings from now all the way till June. I'm booked of just trainings almost every other week in all different regions around the country. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity, not only for the federal government, but with the state. I know you talked to Brian, uh, I think your last, one of your last podcasts. Yep. Um, and you know, I'm really looking forward to going to the state of Colorado to teach, you know? So if you see me always, uh, excited to connect and chat when I'm out there. So be willing to say hi and yeah, that's all I have. And if people want to get a hold of you for any of these classes mm -hmm. or your services, how do they do that? Yeah, so if you want to get a hold of me, um, the best place to find it is closethegapwellness.com. Um, and then my handle on Instagram is closethegapwellness as well. That's probably the best way, DMing me or emailing me. My website also has my phone number. So if you want to go through that direct, but email is usually the best. I check it every day. And so that would be the best way to either one, book, book a class um, or two, be able to reach out if you ever are in need of clinical services, counseling here in Idaho. I'm a clinician and licensed in the state of Idaho. Awesome. Well, hey, Danny, thanks for coming on. I'm sure we'll chat. We, you know, we have conversations. Like I said before, there's plenty of other conversations we had where we probably should have just hit record and had those uh -huh. down. But I appreciate you coming on and definitely come back. I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, definitely will. Thanks for having me. Yeah.